The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus made the crowds welcome and talked to them about the kingdom of God. And he cured those who were in need of healing. It was late afternoon when the twelve came to him and said, Send the people away, and they can go to the villages and farms round about to find lodging and food, for we are in a lonely place here. He replied, Give them something to eat yourselves. But they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go ourselves and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. But he said to his disciples, Get them to sit down in parties of about fifty. They did so, and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, raised his eyes to heaven, and said the blessing over them. Then he broke them and handed them to his disciples to distribute among the crowd. They all ate as much as they wanted, and when the scraps remaining were collected, they filled twelve baskets. The Gospel of the Lord. today, the Feast of Corpus Christi, we celebrate another of those great mysteries which our Savior has left us. It is the sacrament of his presence among us. And so, fulfilling the promise that he made as he departed visibly from our world, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And sadly, in our days, we do not appreciate the greatness of this sacrament. And its mystery is disappearing from our consciousness. And we see the sacrament violated and treated as ordinary bread. Which, sadly, means, in many cases, sacrilege. And consequently, we see its effect, which is the laceration of the church, the laceration of the body of Christ, even as he was scourged on the very day, the night he was betrayed and the day of his crucifixion. But we shouldn't be surprised, for as the head has gone, so necessarily the body follows as well. What is a sacrament? This is the question that we need to ask and the question that we need to answer if we are to avoid this great violation, uh, abuse of the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord. A sacrament, as we read in the Catechism, is an outward sign of an inward grace, an inward reality that it signifies and it effects. Not only does the sacrament signify the reality, but it actually brings the reality into existence. It is instituted by Christ himself. It is given to the church. It is meant for our salvation and our sanctification. 
So when water is poured uh, over the body and the words are added, I baptize. Not only is it the sign of washing, a washing of the soul, but also it affects exactly what it does. It frees, it cleanses the soul from sin and from the effects of sin. Similarly, when a person is anointed, I anointed thee. Not only is it a sign of the person being um, anointed, given the grace of the Holy Spirit, but actually affects it. And likewise for the Eucharist. The sacrament is a sign of Christ's presence among us, a real presence, and this is effected as well. The very words make Christ present. And all of this is not the power of the priest, we need to remember, but rather it is Christ who acts in the one who confects the sacrament. We heard in the first reading how Melchizedek, a priest of the Most High God, had encountered, had met Abraham on his way um, back from the Battle of the Kings. And we're told that Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God, most high, for handing over your enemies to you. And Abraham gave him a tithe of everything. Abraham was the patriarch, the head. He was the father of the, of the Israelites. And yet he submitted, he showed himself inferior to this priest, Melchizedek, king of Salem, king of peace, the city Salem, Jerusalem, and also a priest of God the Most High. In giving him tithes, Abraham indicated the great um, dignity of this priest, who we read in the letter to the Hebrews, had neither ancestry nor descendants, and therefore was a type of Christ. And Melchizedek offered bread and wine. It is these very species that our Lord would take on the day of his betrayal and of his death. And he would speak not of the covenant given um, to Abraham and to his descendants so much as the one, a new one, an eternal one, which was symbolized by Melchizedek. And St. Paul tells us in his recollection of this great sacrament, this is what I receive from the Lord and in turn pass on to you. St. Paul, therefore, is not creating anything new. He is effectively um, establishing tradition, because tradition simply means that we, what we receive, we pass on, without change, without any modification, perfect and entire as we have received it. Because to deform it in any way, in fact, breaks the tradition. And then we no longer pass on what we have received. We have either taken away from it, or we have added to it, and consequently deformed it. 
And sadly, this is what is happening, has happened in our own time and continues to happen so that we lose the, the very sense of the mystery that has been entrusted to us. So what did the apostle receive from the Lord and in turn pass on? That on the same night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and thanked God for it, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this as a memorial of me. So he took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, he gave it to the disciples. Four deliberate actions. We heard something similar in the gospel, where we are told the apostles having got, um, got the people to sit down in groups of 50, and we're told he took the five loaves, he took the bread, he raised his eyes to heaven, he blessed the bread, he, he said the blessing, he broke the bread, and he gave it to his disciples. So this mystery of the feeding of the 5,000 is also related to the mystery of the Eucharist. And we're told that the 5,000, they ate as much as they wanted, and there were even scraps left over. In the case of the Eucharist, as St. Paul relates it to us, these five actions indicate a sacrament. In other words, it's a sign of what our Lord was doing, and it actually affected what he was doing. So when he said, this is my body, it could not be anything other than what he said. His body, his flesh, the very flesh that he took from the womb of the Virgin, that same flesh with which he healed the sick when he touched them, or when he used his saliva to, to, to loosen the, the tongue of the dumb the dumb mute, the dumb um, and deaf man, that same flesh that was crucified for us and buried, that same flesh that rose again from the dead. This is my body. It cannot be a symbol or representation. It can't even be a sign. It must be a sacrament. It must actually effect what it symbolizes. Just as when he, at the first miracle, he simply said to the servants, take the, the after he said, put water into the jars and take it to the steward. That's all he said. But he could equally have said, fill the jars of water. Take this wine to the steward. It would have been wine. There's no doubt about that. It was wine, without him actually saying so. So much more is it significant that he said so, and therefore it must be so. Additionally, it was the very night he was betrayed, and our Lord would not have been careless or fickle in what he had said. 
And if he wanted the disciples to understand that it was merely a, a, a sign or a representation, he would have made it that clear as well. But no, he left it literally. So there is no other way in which to interpret it except literally. Just as when, at the miracle, and as related in St. John's Gospel, the crowd said, when they heard we they must eat his flesh, this is impossible. This is intolerable language. Who can accept it? And they walked away. He made no attempt to draw them back and say, I'm speaking figuratively or metaphorically or symbolically, or I'm speaking in parables. But he watched them go. They understood him literally. And he let them go. And he turns to the twelve and said, will you also go away? And St. Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe, which is all that the Lord wants from us, is to believe. To understand is not given to us, at least not at this point. But belief is within our ability. Our Lord said, didn't I choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you does not believe, or more clearly, one of you is a devil. For the devil cannot believe, will not believe. And so when he says, this is my body, do this as a memorial of me, he's evidently given the apostles the power to do exactly what he had done. In the same way he took the cup and said, this is the covenant of the new, this is the cup of the covenant in my blood. Drink of it. And in the words of the consecration for Mass, take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. These words are so very, very important for the full meaning of the sacrament. His blood is the price he paid for our redemption. The chalice that is filled with wine at these words is changed into blood. And to show the extent of his love, it is poured out, not just shed, but poured out almost, well not almost, like a libation. Everything is exhausted. There is nothing left in the chalice. And he says, for you and for many, not for all, but for many. It is poured out for you, the disciples, evidently, who were present, and all those who would believe because of what the disciples preached and testified to and witnessed to with their own blood. The many who would believe. Christ's blood was indeed shed for all people throughout space and time. But it would only be effective, efficacious, salvific, saving for those who believe. And that is the many to whom he's referring to. Who are these many? But only those who are in his church. 
Because that is essentially what we must believe, what the church teaches. So those who benefit from the shedding of his blood are those who are in the church. Those who are outside do not believe. As our Lord again says um, elsewhere, many will come to him. Many will believe, but not all. And so when the chalice is consecrated, we are, again, a sacrament effects that which it signifies. So when the chalice is consecrated, it affects the unity of the mystical body of Christ, the unity of the church. It also affects the sacrifice that Christ has offered, the supreme sacrifice. To change these words is effectively to endanger this specific meaning of the sacrament and consequently to nullify the sacrament itself. For the forgiveness of sins will his blood be poured out. And of course, the forgiveness of sins is only effected in the church, just as in the sacrament of confession, baptism, confession, anointing the sick. The sins are only forgiven in the church. And when he says, do this in memory of me, we recognize, as, as St. Paul tells us, that we are proclaiming once more the death of our Savior. And there are many other mysteries associated with this great sacrament. But for us who believe, all we can do is to give thanks to God, to Christ, our God, who has offered himself for us, we can ask that we might love him even more in the greatness of his gift. We can adore him and make reparation for all those who violate this great mystery. As St. Paul in the continuation of the same letter says, those who eat and drink unworthily without discerning the presence of the Lord eat and drink condemnation to themselves. Let us keep these words in mind and ask the Lord that we may never violate this great sacrament and so be condemned, but adoring it, loving it, we may in fact benefit from what it signifies, our union with Christ and life everlasting. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today. Thank you.